powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Oh, hello there, Duvall Nation. Hi, hey, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back, Duvall Nation. This is the Derek Duvall Show. I am your host, Derek, and you are listening to the very first talk show ever played in porta potties all over the world. By down there, sir, it'll all be over soon. I am so glad everyone got through the last two weeks unscathed. We had a few technical hiccups here at the production studio, but gratefully didn't keep us down for too long. The plus side is we have new mics, a new broadcasting computer, monitors, and my beloved virtual audience. I want to throw a huge shout out to Mrs. Duvall, my amazing mother-in-law, and Chris from the Chris and Christine Show for helping get the studio updated and up and running. What have we been up to while all this new equipment has been going on, you might ask? Well, a little bit of recreation, I must say. I recently celebrated a milestone in my life, and I decided to treat myself. Ask anyone who knows me on the other side of this microphone that I am a massive Apollo missions junkie. I decided to buy the Lego Saturn V rocket. We have a rocket that is over four feet tall that now adorns the wall of my recording studio. I'd never done an adult Lego before, but I will say it was an exercise in patience. I've posted a photo on my Instagram, that's at Derek Duvall Show, if you want to see it. I do want to acknowledge a big loss in the world with the very sudden death of Bob Saget. Honestly, I never get too broken up over people's deaths that I do not know, but honestly, I haven't been that moved over a celebrity dying since Robin Williams or Chris Cornell. I don't know if it's me progressing into middle age or the fact that Bob Saget was such a universally loved, but it's been on my mind a few days now. I watched Full House like any other Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world, and I loved him during America's Funniest Home Videos, which, which by the way, the meme I saw about Bob Saget hosting YouTube and that we had to wait for one half hour on a Sunday night to all watch it together, I want to throw a shout to at It's Only Zach for that one. But yeah, it's pretty accurate. Plus, Bob's adult comedy was ruthlessly good. Anyways, just, man, I tell you what, what a big loss. What a legend. I also want to throw a huge shout out of congratulations to the guest of episode 31, Miss Whitney DeFugio. As she mentioned, one of the things she was looking forward to doing was getting married. And she has, and by the looks of it, was a stunning destination wedding. Whitney, if you're listening, on behalf of myself and Duval Nation, congratulations. Here's to love, laughter, and a happy ever after. So, welcome to episode 37, my lucky number. We have on this episode a truly amazing guest and one of my absolute favorite interviews in the two years that I have been doing this show. We have the one and only Miss Alice Anter. She will be discussing her humble origins, breaking into acting, the challenges of Hollywood, working with the late Betty White, and of course, The Big Bang Theory. You are in for an amazing hour, so pour that drink and let's get right on into it. Duval Nation, rise to your feet and welcome for the first time, and I pray not the last, direct from Los Angeles, California, the absolutely lovely and mysterious Miss Alice Anter. 
Alice, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. I'd like to start at the beginning, and I'd like to believe you grew up in Hansworth, England. Am I correct? Actually, yeah. Mm. It's partially correct. I spent very little time there. I was born, Wikipedia has it wrong. So I was born in Birmingham, in Moseley, Birmingham, to a single parent. And at that time, there was no daycare or anything like that. So I was put into a nursery in Hansworth for the first four years of my life. Mm. Um, but I don't really remember too much of it, um, other than a lot of the nurses told me I looked like Sophia Loren. <laughs> and I didn't know who that was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that kind of just kept following me around, that Sophia Loren thing. And mm. then when I finally, I was moved to a children's home in Leamington Spa from the age of five through nine. And um, and that's, I was like, I keep hearing this name. I have to, who is this? <laughs> as a child you know and then when I, I saw the millionaire ass on the tv in the living room and I just was blown away I was like I look like her bloody hell mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so I'm a Midlander but it I mean you can safely say I'm a Midlander through and through so I don't have a broomy accent so that's exactly <laughs> so uh what age did you decide you wanted to be an actual actress um, I think I wanted to dabble in the arts when I was like 13. I, I got a part in The line, The Witch in the Wardrobe as Mrs. Mm -hmm. Beaver. And I had always sort of, you know, been big on dance and stuff like that. Um, but professionally, it wasn't until I was like in my mid-20s in Tokyo, Japan, where I was teaching English for a large corporation and making great money and had two vacations a year. I mean, I had the life, mm -hmm. but I was creatively stifled. And I just sat there and thought, what do I want to do? And then this sort of memory of, well, people tell you, even still today, that you look like Sophia Loren. Because I was good academically and I was pushed very heavily in an academic direction by people at school, teachers and whatnot, because I was good at languages. Then I just kind of, I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to be an actress. What's that like? <laughs> I better find out. And then at the same time, kind of friends of mine were coming to L.A. on vacation. Mm -hmm. And they said, Alice, we're going to L.A. and you're coming with us. And I went, okay. And then as soon as I came, I, I fell in love with it. And I was like, I've got to live here. Nice. And then make this a reality. But it's been a long, hard road. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned language. Do you went to the University of Wolverhampton, as obviously. What are your favorite memories from your time there? Oh, my goodness. It was such a fun time, and I'm still friends with, um, you know, many of the people that I hung out with. And I'm sure they're not surprised I'm on television or in the arts or, you know, chasing fame or whatever you want to call it, because I was always a bit of a showstopper. <laughs> <laughs> No matter what I was doing. So I worked at the bar. I worked at the Union Bar and uh, used to give free drinks away to my friends. And just the relationships, really, and, and the fun. It was, it was Wolverhampton, obviously, is not, sorry, Wolverhampton, but it's not the nicest place. I mean, even for a girl from Birmingham, it wasn't that big of a jump, but it still wasn't the nicest place mm -hmm. to go to uni. But it had the best people and it had... Surprisingly, years later, I found out that a lot of my lecturers were advisors to the British government because I was in Tokyo 
And I was at home watching television footage, uh, news footage of the Berlin Wall coming down, mm -hmm. which I had experienced because I had lived in Berlin when the wall was up. And one of our lecturers from Wolverhampton University came on my news screen in Tokyo, Japan, and it said advisor to the British government on, you know, east-west affairs. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And obviously, like you mentioned earlier, you got to travel extensively around the world. I have the last question is how many languages can you speak? Gosh, I think I know a bit of several, but um, especially, you know, playing Indian roles. I've had to I've had to audition in in Hindi and or do a job in Hindi and also audition in Arabic. And I don't really know either of those two languages. Um, I, I mean, you know, when I, I've lived in America for almost 30 years, so my languages at this point are pretty rusty. Um, but when I do have the chance and I do speak to someone in French or I do speak to someone in German, they do tell me it's very good and also the Japanese. So um, and then through working here and through a, a previous relationship with a, someone from Argentina, I uh, picked up some Spanish. So but I don't use them. I mean, I could. You know, if I was to go back to Europe, I would, you know, and live in France for six months or or, or Spain or Germany. I, they would definitely be there, especially German. German comes to me very easily, I think, because it's in the DNA. So you moved to Los Angeles, you mentioned earlier. How hard was it for you to break into the business? Um, Gosh, I, you know, it was a different time then. I think people now have have it much easier because of social media. I mean, I meet people who haven't done it darn thing and they're like already on red carpet and it's weird but they're they're doing to them they're social media performers of one variety or another um so to break into the business i just did it the very english way i did theater first you know very serious i i played vampire in plan nine from outer space which was a, a musical stage version and it, that was also brilliant fun and I did get recognized around town right away okay. buying killer cases in the local linen shop it was weird. <laughs> I don't know I think when I booked ER and that came out was what the very first sort of the phone started ringing and everyone was like was that you was that you did I just see you on ER and then other people like around the world we're like, well, I knew you were an actress because I saw you on ER. And ER at the time was huge. And then I did The Good Girl and A Man Apart, like not long after. And then, of course, the real the real deal was Big Bang Theory. And Tell us about working on two of the most landmark episodes of ER. Tell us, take us through that experience. Little known fact. I had worked on ER as an extra originally. And for about a year and a half to learn the ropes about filmmaking and television sets and all of that. And I was an East Indian female doctor walking around the, you know, corridors and they would always give the important stuff to me to hand off to George or to whoever. I have to say that set was very, very, you know, I mean, if you were a recurring background player, you were part of the family. So, but I did get frustrated because I would see all these young actors come in playing these two line roles. And I was like, well, I'm here. Why don't they give me a line? I don't understand. Every hospital I've ever been in has an East Indian female doctor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, so I got frustrated and I left. 
Because there is definitely, or there was definitely uh, extras, they never get lines. You know, you're seen as background, you're not seen as actors. And, you know, to be fair, I didn't have, other than theatre, any credits. So I left and I was like, well, sod that, whatever, that was that, I'm not doing that anymore. And then I got an agent and then I started auditioning for, you know, co-star roles. Because there's a very sort of, you know, the path to it is very laid out. You do, you know, one or two lines on like television shows and you work your way up. So what happened was this uh, breakdown came out for Dr. Miriam Nagavala on ER. I called up my agent. I said, get me an audition on that show. I said, I know that show backwards. I know how George is going to say his lines. I know everything. Get me an audition. Now, the role was scripted as an older woman in her 40s. And at the time, I think I was like 32, if that. Mm-hmm. So the, the the casting director, John Wells, was very reluctant. He's like, well, she's a bit young. And my agent was like, she can do it. And I was like, yes, I can. So I went in there, of course, nailed it. First, I did it in an accent. And he's like, is that your real voice? And I was like, no. He's like, well, do it in your real voice. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And he's like, okay. And then I got a call back. And then at the call back, the first AD was in the room. And he recognized me immediately because he was Indian. He jumped up out of his seat. And he's like, hey, Alice. And I'm like, oh, Babu, how you doing? And then, you know, we hugged and everyone kind of looked confused and was like, well, I guess you two guys know each other. But I didn't want to say anything about the extra work because I was like, they won't take me seriously. And he didn't say anything either. So I just did the scene and I could see them nodding their heads and I just left. And that was when, you know, in those days you did it in person. Whereas these days, because of the pandemic, everything's remote. And I left and boom, booked the job. And the best part was when the extras that were still on the show came up to me and they gave me a hug and they went, you broke through. We're so proud of you. <laughs> but then it, it bit me in the butt because a lot of the, like the DP remembered me and two episodes and I was done. Had I never done extra work, I probably would have recurred from the get go. That story you remind me of, it's kind of like the, it wasn't that the, basically the plot point for the Ricky Gervais show extras. He was just trying to break through the whole time. He was a background player. Yeah, I did watch that. And I was, pissing myself laughing because it is so true like you know oh yeah I'm gonna... i mean i never did that when i was an extra when i was an extra i was a bloody good extra i was not going around saying i'm an actor right you know i did have shakespeare you know in paper bag in my pocket and i was reading it in between takes and on breaks and stuff but you know there wasn't really much time because i mean mm-hmm. that show was like 12 to 16 hour days and Right. You know, you're just so exhausted. But I was picking up all the technical stuff, you know, mm. like who, whose job does what? Because it's like 400 people. So the huh? role you are most uh, associated with is a supporting cast member for the Juggernaut show, The Big Bang Theory. As the character, Mrs. Kuthapali, you appeared in 10 episodes. How did you land that part, for starters? Again, just an audition, like... Yeah, I mean, there's a process and it's very sort of, you know, you get, you get, there's a breakdown comes out, it describes, you know, a person. And if you fit all the physical characteristics, um, the one that you can kind of fudge past is the age. Well, I can anyway, because I can play any age. Um, 
you know, and uh, I just got the audition through my agent or manager. And as soon as I read it, I knew it. I, I just knew what they were looking for. And so I decided to deliver that, even though that is very different from who I really am. But they don't need to know that. Again, you know, you have to be very sort of, it's too, sometimes too much information can hurt you. So, you know, if I was to go in as Alice, I wouldn't get the job. But if I go in as my idea of Mrs. Kutra Pali, I mean, that whole look that the character had, I came up with at the audition mm -hmm. and then told wardrobe, hair and makeup when I got to do my first episode that this is what I did. And, you know, this is probably what they want to replicate. So I had like big hair and very glamorous, very colorful, vibrant, glamorous. You know, I mean, I was sitting in the waiting room and this other actress was you know because they do try and you know psych you out you know I was sitting there and I remember thinking I can't get this job I don't know why I can't get this job but I can't get this job and then lo and behold come to find because I, I, I recurred for like I don't know a few episodes before it went into syndication in like 2009 and that's when again the phone and people messaging and then and then, you know, all the invitations to go to all the red carpets. And, I mean, not all of them, but like, you know, because there's a definite distinction between the main cast and the recurring cast. So, yeah. Um, but still today, I mean, it's, it's, it's on HBO. I don't get, rec I, seldom I get recognized. So I can live a normal life. <laughs> so when it first started, did you think the show would be as big a success as it ended up being? Um, I think, I think we all, I think, I mean, hmm, uh, everything just worked like a very well-oiled machine. And, um, you know, now that I've been on other shows and other productions, uh, it's, it's hard for me when things are not that level. <laughs> <laughs> because that you know chuck laurie to his credit he does set the bar very high and that was you know the biggest you know pressure is that everyone was so good and you know and i was like i didn't know if i was the least experienced but i i definitely didn't have as many credits as a lot of the other people there but then neither did my TV son. But you just had to bring it. You had to bring it and, you know, and that was that. I mean, if I never do another thing ever again, the time was not wasted. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, because I had it as a reference point for, you know, hmm. my time in Hollywood. So what was it like to be with that cast? They seemed off, off the page. It looked like just a complete lot of fun. Um, yeah. I mean, again... Things, <laughs> it's a lot of work is what I would say. It's a lot of work. Yeah, no, we're not all sitting around cracking jokes with each other. That's right. not happening. That's not happening. It's very structured. And, you know, you're, you're sort of, the minute you arrive, you're, you're sort of got your parameters of where you can be and what you can do and what you can say. And you don't really feel comfortable enough to step out of that, I don't think. Uh, because you don't want to offend anyone or you don't want to, you know, that, that is a weird thing I would say about Hollywood. And I don't know if it's just Hollywood or if it's the same in all sets all over the world or in England. Do you have um, any favorite stories from you want to tell from that time on the show? 
I think the biggest shock for everyone came when they saw me at the very first rap party. And, you know, like, I mean, the, they'd seen me show up with no makeup on and in jeans before, you know, to rehearse in and whatnot. And then they'd be like, when I transformed into Mrs. Cooter Polly, I remember Simon Helberg going, oh, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> it was quite a transformation. And then I remember Chuck Lorre kind of saying, when I walked in to the season two, I think it was, rap party, and I was wearing a mini dress and boots, very English. You know, my hair was down, and I looked like Alice, you know, glamorous, sexy Alice. And I walked in, and he's just like, kind of did the same thing like oh wow <laughs> like <laughs> you look great like and I was an idiot because I'm like have you seen my husband and he's like your real husband and I'm like no my tv husband Brian like have you seen him and you know obviously Chuck Lewis trying to talk to me and I just sort of like it was all about Brian George <laughs> <laughs> stupid forget the millionaire or bajillionaire boss where's that other actor <laughs> Yeah, but I love Chuck. Chuck's great. And I get asked similar to that because we were always on Skype in the beginning, whether we were there or not. I've answered, yeah, but we weren't in India. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were there. We were there. Everyone's there. Every person that is written. But in my experience, everyone that was um, uh, written for was in the room. We sit around a table, we rehearse, you know, you do a table read first in front of everyone. Then they make adjustments. I mean, one of the hardest things, and especially like for someone like uh, Jim, would be learning all that dialogue just to have it rewritten overnight and have to learn something else, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot. Why, in your opinion, do you think the show has become so endearing and it has such a lasting legacy? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe the writing. Um, and also sort of timing, cultural timing, I would say, because I think it was like, like in the nineties shows that were about perfection, you know, big bosoms, and, you know, like Baywatch and things like that mm -hmm. were all the rage, the beautiful people. And then this kind of came around when the nerds kind of took over culture, you know, um, so I think that's, you know, the, the nerds, the number of nerds that way outnumbered the number of beautiful people <laughs> <laughs> in the globe. But yeah, I think that's why. And also good writing and good production value all around, you know. I mean, even my little contribution, everybody brought their A game. I definitely will say this is in my time, like I said, I, I have seen the show, uh, the guests, the surprise guests. Um, we're talking about some real high caliber uh, actors and scientists and stuff like that would come on the show. I think that definitely, yeah. you know, lays a big credit to it as well. Yeah, no, I mean, once the show was a huge international hit, they could get anyone. I was lucky I was on it from the beginning because if I hadn't have been, I would, they would have gotten the more famous and more well-known version of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when, they, when they can have, uh, Stephen Hawking and, and, uh, Leonard Nimoy and goodness knows whoever else 
as as guest actors because by that point everyone knew the show so yeah. it was something that even the guest actors wanted to be involved in so i have to ask you about working with the now late betty white you were a guest on hot in cleveland what do you remember the first time you met her Oh, that was fantastic. I loved working on that show and that episode. It was so much fun. Betty is a hoot. She was quite vibrant. You know, I mean, I think she gives off that vibe in, you know, all her interviews and her work and whatnot. You know, she was very sprightly, with twinkle in the eyes. None of the, generally speaking, you know, people don't kind of come off like a huge diva from the get-go. It's all very sort of you know, yeah. you know they they did keep her sort of uh, the the interaction was minimal mainly because well the first part of what happened was when I got cast we were scheduled to shoot and then it got postponed because she had fallen ill mm. and I was just like oh god Betty please don't die please don't die <laughs> <laughs> like I I really you know I want to do this job. But uh, she recovered and and then it, it, you know we we did it. Uh, I think a couple of months later, which was great because I got paid twice. She was, I can't remember how old she was at the time. So what, she died in 99. So she must have been 92 because I think it was 2013 uh, when we we did this episode. You know, she couldn't stand up for, she wasn't infirm by any means, not what I would, kind of like the queen, I suppose, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But a bit more sort of humorous. I'm not saying the Queen isn't humorous, but, you know, yeah. sort of small and you're aware of her age, you know. Yeah. Um, you're not going to lean on her as you're standing there doing the lines. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and it was it was just, I mean, wonderful and amazing experience. Just so gracious, very, you know, but, and surprisingly with it for her, you know, years. You don't even know that your husband, uh, your son is gay. <laughs> what? I mean, it's just, it's just classic, really. Betty White. I mean, what an icon. Um, my biggest interaction was with Jane Leaves mm. from Frasier. Frasier, um, yeah. She was really cool because she's a fellow Brit. And so mm. her, you know, she would be like next to me in the makeup trailer and be like, do you want to run lines, Alice? And she'd say in her like Northern English accent, do you want to, <laughs> Alice, do you want to run lines? I'd be like, yeah, sure. And he was like, yes, please. I'm so nervous. I don't know what I'm doing. And it was hard to keep a straight face with her and me doing our Indian accents, our fake Indian accents, <laughs> and both being British and standing next to each other and when the cameras are rolling and then with Betty White there, you know, it was just hard <laughs> to not lose it mm-hmm. because I'll, Jane and I, I think, have a similar sense of I'm, humor. How many days did you work on the show? Well, when you do a sitcom uh, with a live audience, it's generally a week um, because it, it's like doing a play. So you come in and you do a table read on the first day and then you block the show you know, each scene and it runs sequentially in order as opposed to film or even TV, other like dramas will not run. Anything that's that's not in front of a live studio audience will not run sequentially. So it's great in that regard because you get a flow going, but then at the same time you have new revised pages. So you have to have, it's, it's quite grueling. 
mm-hmm. uh, because you learn stuff and then you have to forget it and learn new stuff at the end of the day. You know, it's still sort of maybe the gist, but you just, you're, and they actually fired somebody that wasn't making people, you know, and you have to bring the funny. That's the thing you have to remember is to, you have to bring the funny, you have to go for the laugh. And that, that starts in rehearsal, you know, blocking and rehearsing and running the scenes and stuff. It's not like you rehearse, 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 and then you get to do it and it's perfect. No, it has mm-hmm. to be, you have to, you're performing all the time because you're performing for the director and the producers and the writers because they're around and they're monitoring and watching and seeing what works and stuff. And I think with the first guy that they picked for the, the Babu character, he just wasn't funny. And, uh, and then they replaced him. And I knew that that guy was funny because I'd worked with that guy on um, Outsourced. And uh, he's a very funny guy. So uh, it was a much, much better choice. Um, and then uh, Wendy Malik was really cool. She took an interest which is also very unusual, like in my experience anyway, it's like people, main cast generally don't try and get to know you <laughs> in between <laughs> takes. The whole, the whole production, I, I really enjoyed that whole, the week I was there and yeah, she's iconic, Betty, you know, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I did a little Insta tribute. I saw to that. Her. Yeah. yeah. Where were you when you heard the news she passed? I was at home, you know, I was scrolling IMDb, I think, in the morning, uh, and I saw it, and I was just like, hmm. I mean, I think I'd heard that she wasn't well. You know, I hate to say it, and that's another reason why I post what I post on Instagram. We're not going to be here forever, you know? Yeah. So at least if I, uh, if it's filmed, if it's on camera, if it's digitized, it's somewhere, uh, and if it's on film it's it's like there forever you're it's sort of a way to be immortal and she's immortalized and she had so such a long career Mm -hmm. i mean i she's like the stalwart of of female actresses and i think her career like she became famous late in her career Mm -hmm. you know what do you think actors and actresses can learn from betty's legacy yeah um obviously to just stick it out i mean it's that's the hardest part i was thinking about it the actual performing part is not the hardest part um the hardest part is the in between you know staying relevant that sort of thing staying in the game stay making sure you know you've got a roof over your because there's no security i mean only when you get to like like i said main cast jane leaves you know Betty White, cast of Yellowstone, you know, even even the the not all of the cast of Yellowstone because mm-hmm. they don't all have the same level of experience. I mean, obviously Kevin Costner can do whatever he wants, but the people who are still trying to get up the ladder, you know, it's not over until you say it's over. In my opinion, nobody can really put you out to pasture but yourself. And the reasons that that may happen are because you just get, you can get, get tired. You can get tired of the, of the, the grind. You can, you can sort of just be like not inspired. That happens. I think what Betty managed to do is she managed to be happy with whatever trajectory her career took. 
<laughs> so she didn't strike me as someone that was like, I got to get to the top and I'm not going to be happy until I get there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it was that easygoingness with her that, you know, one, that's why it kind of took longer, but two, also that, you know, very, people like to work with people like that. You don't have to be beautiful to be funny either. I mean, she was good looking, but I'm saying if you rest on your look, you have to be talented. (laughs) (laughs) Looks don't cut it. I mean, that gets you so far, but then you have to have the talent to back it up. You know, I think Betty is, I mean, 99. That was a good long innings there. From the time that you get a script to the actual shooting, what is your process in fleshing out a character? Gosh. It usually happens as soon as I get the audition because I'm I'm still auditioning for most things. And and since I'm so versatile, you know, the, it's pretty wide ranging. But it usually comes from the audition material and you either it hits you and you get it or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, it's so hard and so painful, everything. You know, you don't have a visual, you don't, you don't know how they're going to talk, everything. It's just so awful. But when it does, it fits you. It's like trying on a perfect outfit in a fitting room and it fits, it flies on you and it hugs you and it just works. Other times there are sort of the in-between things that's Certain things fit you sort of good and then need to be pulled in here and there. And and those are the most challenging. But I've gotten, you know, I don't know really where it comes from, this Indian mom thing or Indian auntie. You know, I've gotten that down pat. That's pretty easy. But now I'm looking forward to doing other things that people don't. You should take a look at my Instagram. It's nothing like any of the roles I've played. Yeah, because I do have a sexy side, I do have a romantic side, and I do have a sort of wild and dangerous side. Hmm. So I think I don't want to be a granny doing all that. (laughs) (laughs) So the time is now. Right. And I'm still holding up pretty well for my age. How, How do you keep in shape? Oh, my goodness. It is, it's up and down. It's, uh, you know, during the, pan- during the pandemic and, you know, we our gyms here were, were closed for like a year and a half. I'm one of those, I've got to work out in order to just feel right mm-hmm. in myself and in my body. I like to move my body. So I'm a big spinner. I'm a pretty hardcore. I mean, I take the, the hardest uh, and that's kind of, yeah, I could probably go back to England and work in England at this point. But the level of fitness in Los Angeles is way higher than it is in England. Do you have a Peloton? I don't have a Peloton, but during the pandemic, I did purchase a stationary bike, which is acting like a clothes horse right now. <laughs> but I go to my spin classes every morning, pretty much. And then I do weight training. And, uh, you know, if I have, like right now, I want to do you know, when you want to do the sexy stuff, you've got to be in shape. There's just no ifs, ands, buts, or babies. So, you know, uh, and then when you do the character stuff, you just let let yourself go and become a big fat frump, which I had to do for a movie during the pandemic. So I gained 30 pounds during the pandemic 
which was easy because everything was closed and you're just sitting on your butt watching television. But, you know, then you have to get it off. So a bit like Christian Bale that way or Johnny Depp. On that note, we are going to go ahead and take a brief break. This gives you the opportunity to refill that drink, coffee or otherwise. Do a nice, big, deep stretch and open your ears and minds with a few promos for a couple friends of the show. Sit back. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the My Work Life Podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing? Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers? Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the podcast that wouldn't die. I'm your host, Kevin. With me, as always, is Aaron. What up, what up? Each week, we'll explore the classics of the horror and sci-fi genre with a little comedic twist. We will ask those important questions like, why don't they get out of the haunted house the first time they see the ghost or the demon? Why do people feel like, hey, there's been a spooky disappearance, but I'm going to investigate myself, even though I have no investigative background? Or, why didn't I realize I was dead the whole time? These important questions and many others we will get to the bottom of. So check us out each week at the podcast that wouldn't die. Be there or be square. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. We're not going to waste any time right here. Let's just get right back into it. Here is the conclusion of our interview with the incredible Alice Anker. In your time, what has been the largest obstacle you've had to overcome? Is it getting in shape for roles or has it been something else? <sighs> hmm. I would say people's uh, prejudices and limitations about what they think you can and cannot do. I think that is the hard because people, the, the, the premise here is that, you know, you can only be one thing or do one thing and do that. You know, so if I'm if I'm playing Mrs. Kutrapali, then all my roles are like Mrs. Kutrapali. Mm. Um, that's a really you know hard. I, you know, I'm just tired of playing you know old and brown. I'm just tired of it. And because I'm not like you know as famous as other actresses, it, you know, people. That I would say you know what what Meryl Streep. And Nicole Kidman win awards for for morphing into different people. I do it every day, mm. every job. You know, um, it's rare that 
you know, you're actually looking at Alessandra as Alessandra. You're looking at these characters. And, you know, through interviews and red carpet pictures and stuff, people are like, oh, my God, <laughs> she looks so different. She looks way younger and way hotter. It's an uphill battle trying to get casting directors to see me as a hot, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there could be a milfy assassin out there. You know, why not? You know, so breaking and, you know, definitely this ageism in Hollywood and, you know, I mean, I didn't take advantage when I I didn't want to use my sex appeal because I wanted to be taken seriously. And, uh, you know, now I kind of look back and go, well, that was a stupid move. (laughs) (laughs) You should have been sexy. Then you could have just gotten that out of your system and then played all these old people later on. But whatever, it is what it is. I'm told by my fans that I'm still sexy. Oh, that's nice. So I had another actor on the show a couple a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he says that he keeps um, a highlight reel of his best work so he can show casting directors and so forth. He uses he usually keeps it up to date so he looks like him as he is now. Do you do something similar to that? Well, you're supposed to, you know, show your most recent you know, clips um, on, a, on a reel. But if I look really bad, like in the two projects I did during COVID, I don't think, I don't want to perpetuate those kinds of roles. So no, I didn't. And one of them was with William Hurt. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't. Um, I only include what I like, um, you know, what I think uh, is there. But I, I again, it's none of it's representative of, you know, and I think if I, you know, if you want superstardom, sometimes you've just got to give people maybe who you really are. You know, if who you really are is more sort of superstar-like, then the the you know you can be a character actor forever, but you know at some point you've got to make a decision. Do you want to be like like J Lo? What what do you want to? You know, you have to decide, and then you have to strategize accordingly. But yeah, that's a standard sort of thing. Like, you know, especially if you're looking for a new agent or manager, you've got to have an up-to-date reel because, you know, I mean, I have my ER and Manapart stuff on my reel for the longest time because, well, it was George Clooney and Vin Diesel. So I was just like, I'm leaving that in there. People want to know, what was it like to work with Jennifer Aniston in The Good Girl? That was awesome. Yeah. Her, yes, that was her first film since Friends, I believe. So it was a big deal for her. And I only had a small part, but uh, I still laugh at that bit. Even, you know, even it was, it was actually like 20 years ago now, which blows my mind. But yeah, you know, I mean, most stars don't respond in a like you know, open arm kind of way. They're very guarded. Mm-hmm. So you have to walk a very fine line between doing your job, the balance of that, and also, you know, I mean, I didn't fan out or anything like that, Um, but I did tell a story to her about someone that was in Friends who had played her boyfriend or something, lover in Friends, and I did sort of say, well, what he was to you in Friends, he was to me in real life, and that broke the ice between us and it was true 
And also Brad Pitt came to the set. She was very gracious and kind and she introduced me to Brad, her husband, her then husband. And, you know, at the time they were the it couple. So I was just like, how the hell did this happen? Why do I get to do this? <laughs> so I took a picture and I swear to God, I was very slim at the time by my standards, but I felt like an absolute fat giant standing oh. next to these two. Because they're just so slim. I mean, they're so, she's very petite as is, but for a guy like Brad is very slight. He's not a big guy. You know, it's funny. Yeah. My, uh, Like I said, I've never been much for the, you know, the oohs and the ahs of Hollywood. But I will say this. Anytime that Brad Pitt is in uh, a movie that we watch at our house and by some, you know, thing, his shirt comes off. My wife, she's like, just shut up everybody in the room. I'm watching TV right now. So well, I, exactly. I, 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 I kind mean... of evaporate from the existence. So. Yeah. Well, and, and, and he seems to have gotten better looking with age because I know what you, what film she's talking about, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And I had that exact reaction. And then I got to meet him outside afterwards. It was awesome. So I got to ask you, do you ever go back and watch any of your old work? Uh, hmm. I don't actively. What What happens is when it first comes out, uh, I'll usually watch it just to see, and I'm just like hating. I'm just like hating every second because I'm not me, you know. <laughs> so what I see every day, and then that is very jarring. And and these days, like I didn't even bother watching the last thing I was in at all because I just didn't. I, I didn't enjoy the experience, and mm. I don't want to be reminded, uh, you know, of, of that time. I have to ask you, though, and, you know, because we're getting close to the end of this, I have to ask, what does the future look like for you right now? Well, it, I think since I self-generated everything, it really depends on me. I mean, nothing's been handed to me. I think the future, I'll either just say, you know what, this was fun and I've had enough and I'll go off and do something else. Uh, that may be creative or may just not be like travel, you know, because you kind of do get stuck here in LA because you have to be available. Yeah. Um, and I miss traveling, especially after a year and a half of lockdown. So um, the future um, in my career, you mean, or personally? Yeah. Both, if you want. Uh, yeah, well, I think, I think um, you know, I have to grow. And uh, if I get to do the types of roles that I want to do, uh then great and if i don't then i'll either pivot into another art form um because i am multi-talented oh yes <laughs> um and you know being in stuff it's a collaborative process but at the same time there are many many people determining your fate mm -hmm. and i I'm a bit of a control freak and I like to determine my own fate. So um, if they keep sending me more old, you know, I'll, I'll, I can do old brown when I'm, when I, when I'm older, like when I do look like grandma, I don't think I should be doing much more of that unless it's in like game of Thrones or something. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I'm surprised being English. You don't want to be on something like Ted Lasso or something like that. I didn't find Ted Lasso remotely funny. Really? I tried to watch it. I tried I tried to watch it. I did. Fair enough. Um, maybe, I don't know. 
Plus, I kind of want to, I don't want to say get out of comedy, but so, yeah, I mean, obviously, if they called and said, we want you for Ted Lasso, I'd be like, oh, great. But, uh, you know, and I'm happy for um, Hannah Winningham. I'm happy for her. She's a woman of a certain age. And, you know, it's nice to see. But, you know, I I do, I have other aspirations and goals and, and, you know, that are knocking at the Mm -hmm. door. Um, but yeah, I would love to play like, I'm just going to throw it out there, a warrior queen, a witch, um, a prostitute, um, you know, just an assassin, a boss of a, of a mafia type, uh, uh, gang or something, mm-hmm. you know, these roles are what's speaking to me right now. And then there's, uh, music that I have to get out that I've written and, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot, you know. What and, kind of music? Um, oh, I wrote an album about 15 years ago, and I have to sort of get it out, um, like so people can hear it. So that right. when I say I've written an album, I'm like, here, listen to this, <laughs> and then, you know. But uh, I haven't gotten around to that yet. It's it's hard. Like with acting, I focus solely on on that. So that's how I was able to progress in that one field. But I was also interested in, you know, dancing and singing and music. And, you know, I get told I'm really funny, so I should do stand-up comedy. But I'm just like, yeah, well, Mm. it's just, you know, cooking. I mean, it's just all in there, but uh, there's just not enough. What about writing? Yeah, uh, later, much, much later, when I've had enough of the world and I want to go live like a hermit. And um, or in a nice little cottage in the English countryside, mm-hmm. far away from you know the the buzz of the big city. Uh, I can see myself uh, writing. I mean, I think with every Instagram post, I write something. I mean, not the actual writing, but it's a story, right? You know. Right. So there is a creation in there. It's not necessarily uh, you know writing. Although I have been told I do write well. I mean, I've written a few shopping lists, emails. <laughs> All right, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> Speaking of your, you said you mentioned your Instagram. How best should my listeners follow your career online? Well, I don't really, you know, I, do, I let the people who make the products uh, that I'm in deal with the distribution. That's why I do mainly A-list products, um, projects because I don't want to be responsible for, you know, I, I just express my self on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily push. There's like literally, because what happened was the whole time I was on Big Bang Theory, I was not doing social media. And the publicist I had was like, you've got to get on social media. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And everyone was like, what's your social media? I was like, oh, I don't do that. I was very English. I was like, please, that's not real and uh so that's why i'm not even verified um mm-hmm. on it so yeah it wasn't until gosh two years ago i think that i created a page at alice amter official i think i don't think there were any other alice amters on there i do have a couple of fan pages here and there created by fans but i mine says official Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if you look at the content, which you can't because you've got to request it. Oh, right. 
<laughs> well, I just like to keep it, you know, oh, sort of yeah. it, it, it's um, your kingdom, like your rules. Exactly. If it's public, although it, if I do get verified, it will have to be public because they have rules right. about that. But there's a lot of prying eyes. There's a lot of people like, oh, my God, look at, you know, judgment. There's a lot of what is she doing? Like, you know, that kind of. And it's just, you know, my fans love me and this is for them and nobody else. So, and it's me to express Alice as opposed to a character in a show or, you know, I let, I let the shows, the platforms, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, I'm on plenty of them. And, uh, you know, I probably will crop up if you're, if you're subscribing to any of those, um, you know, but uh, I just I just find it boring. I find it uh, it's boring for me to watch other people tell me about stuff that they're in. I mean, I, having said that, I will publicize this interview, so don't worry. Right. I'll be like, I'll be like, hey, listen to this, or you can tag me, and then I'll be like, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but in general, it's it's. It's more fun to just sort of, and I, and I'm still sort of learning the ropes of it. So mm-hmm. when I really um, know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, it will get even better. You know, um, I'm totally like obsessed right now with Yellowstone. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that yet. I hear all oh my, my friends, god, all of my friends it. are going on and on and on about it. It's like the new Outlander. Everybody wants to talk about it. No, it's better than that. I, I haven't seen Outlander, but it's better. It's like it's like the new Dallas. Mm. It's Dallas. It's like manly men again. Finally, after I don't know how long, we've got some manly men to look at on TV, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, MG, like thank you, Kevin Costner and um, Taylor Sheridan, and wow. <laughs> so yeah, and Kelly Riley's in there. So Bridge does a great job. So. So um, I, that made me put, when they got sagged, I just literally just finished the last season and the next day they got nominated. Mm. And I was like, oh man, this is just too trippy. If only I could be in the show, that would be, you know, and I was like, I've got it in me. I know I do. I got a cow because I used to dance uh, in a, I used to wear um, Daisy Dukes and a cowboy hat mm-hmm. in, a, in a band, played honky, honky-tonk music. Um and want to come out and the cowgirl thing it just it just that, that that's how that post came about <laughs> it was very instant i was like well i've got a hat and uh, i put it on as soon as i put it i was like oh my god i'm transformed look at this <laughs> let's take a no. few shots boom 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 and there we you know no makeup nothing and i was like yeah that's perfect i, I find it a good format for like putting out what i want to attract right now People would be like, well, you put a lot of, you know, sexy pictures or, you know, but that's because that's my persona in real life. That's not me. I'm not fabricating that. I'm just hiding that when I work. Right. Because I haven't been given the opportunity to show it. But now I'm curious, well, maybe, maybe I need to show that. And part of the artist, as an artist, you kind of do have to use everything that's in your arsenal. And let's face it the clock is ticking so <laughs> might not have the option you know five to ten years from now so so i want to ask you now we come to the end this is my absolute favorite question i ask all my guests the question is if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast 
What would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Run! <laughs> Alice, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. This has been an absolute treat for me. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. You're very welcome. But, uh, Happy yeah. New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 37, and I absolutely cannot be happier to have the whole world listen to this episode. Alice is a real delight, one of the best guests I've ever interviewed, and I challenge everyone to seek out her work and, of course, follow that Instagram of hers. We are two weeks into 2022, and we continue to record new interviews almost every single day. I absolutely cannot wait for everyone to hear these people's amazing stories. One more thing. We are going to go into a weekly release schedule going forward. Uh, it's come to my attention that I've got a lot of them backed up, and um, it's about time we I kind of push down a little bit and get as many of them out as I can. Speaking of an amazing story, Mrs. Duval and I watched the film Free Guy the other night, and we laughed ourselves silly. Just a lot of harmless fun, which the brain needs every once in a while, so it's streaming for $5.99 right now, so if you need something fun to watch, give it a go. On behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I say to each and every one of you listening, be safe, be kind, and please get the vaccine. The sooner we get past the Omicron peak, the sooner we can get back to doing fun things together. Nostar, God bless, and see you very, very soon, planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.